Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. This is the word of the Lord. In his incredible book, Love Does, author Bob Goff sets some helpful perspective about his focus as a Christ follower. He writes, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't really matter. I think back of things that I've poured my time and energy and sometimes money into. I remember a time when I was a kid on vacation with my parents at the Lake of the Ozarks, and we went to Shooters 21 with some family friends. How many have been there? You don't have to brag about it too much, but we were there when I was a kid, and There was all adult talk. It was just the adults, the family friends that had been friends for a long time sitting at a table and they were just chatting away and it was mind-numbing to my youthful existence. But not too far from where that table was was one of those upright Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle video games. This was very interesting to me. I had time to kill and my parents must have thought it was absolutely worth the investment to feed me video game money to keep me occupied because over the next hour or so, I played that game to completion. I've never in my days up until that point completed a feed money to the game to keep playing sort of experience, but that day I did. It gave me a remarkable sense of accomplishment in my young life, thinking about the skill and coinage that I pumped into that machine to accomplish that feat. I would have had the chance to become immortalized by entering my initials into that game as a champion. And when I was invited to spell out GDA into that machine, I remember being a little surprised, not entirely, but a little at least, to find that my complete this thing to the very end score was not even the highest score, not even close. Someone else, before I ever got there, somehow accomplished that same tedious task, but much better than I had. I wasn't disappointed to have completed the game. I'm pretty sure that preoccupation was a godsend to my parents as they were socializing. But I remember that sense of disappointment. 
I wasn't the first guy to leave his footprints on the moon. I was basically just another guy to wipe my feet on the welcome mat. Every once in a while, I'll stop and think about how much of what I do with my minutes, hours, days, and even my years is a lot like that game. It's something to do. It's kind of fun. It takes a fair amount of time and investment, and in the end, I'm guessing my initials disappeared from that game the instant it was unplugged, if they weren't bumped out sooner by somebody who used their time more proficiently than I did. I'm guessing the whole apparatus has since been parted out for recycling, so much for posterity. But that's okay. That's not the mark that I want my life to leave or the mark that I particularly want to leave on my life. I couldn't have known as a young man pumping quarters into that game how much more interesting life can be. All it takes is some perspective and a chance to discover some much better adventures. That leads to our first lesson from this morning's scripture. Our past is overshadowed by the presence of Jesus in this moment. Our past is overshadowed by the presence of Jesus in this moment. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. There was a man who volunteered at a church where Amy and I were attending for a while. He volunteered to go through and sharpen pew pencils. You know, you've seen in the backs of several pews in churches that have such fixed furnishings where they have the, the pencils that go in the little slots. You typically otherwise find them in golf carts and things like that. He chose that job. It wasn't anybody else's job, but he knew it was important if people were going to take notes or write out prayer concerns and the like. He was faithful to go through and confirm the sharpened status of each and every pencil on a weekly basis. You never had to worry if he was going to get it done. You never had to ask. You just knew it was going to be taken care of. And when he wasn't volunteering for this often unknown and disregarded task, this man also happened to be a full bird colonel in the United States Air Force. When he walked into a room filled with enlisted people or anyone with a lower rank, they would have to come to attention and call this man sir. It was a rank he earned and respect that he worked hard to live into. But what strikes me about his choice in volunteer roles is how absolutely disconnected it is from the esteem he receives in his vocation. Nobody calls him sir when he was sharpening the pew pencils, and in fact, very few people ever saw him do it. He'd just sneak in, take care of it, check on a couple of people, and then take off. It's almost as though he didn't want anybody to notice that he was doing it at all. Do you know what I think he realized? I think he figured out the same thing that the Apostle Paul realized as he shares it in this letter. All the rank, though it can be helpful and useful in the world, gets a bit of a Shania Twain response from God. That don't impress me much. It's not that Jesus loved the person less for having the rank and respect of his subordinates, but those things don't make Jesus love him anymore. Right before we read this passage in the Bible, Paul is trying to remind the Philippian church that it's not about how impressive we are in our obedience to God that has given us God's favor and our salvation. Our salvation comes from the goodness of God through the sacrifice 
of Jesus. There were folks in the church at Paul's time who were trying to convince folks who were trying to convert to Christianity from anything other than Judaism that they had to follow very specific parts of the Jewish law before they could convert to Christianity. Paul basically dunked on people who were making these claims in a couple of different ways. First, he listed his qualifications as a person of impeccable religious pedigree. He said he was circumcised when he was eight days old, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He says a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. He was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He was so zealous that he harshly persecuted the early church. And as for righteousness, he obeyed the law without fault. Nobody arguing for legality held anything close to Paul's Jewish background and upbringing. He was the model of Hebrew religion for his time. And while that was once something he wore with pride, he now considers them worthless. Garbage, rubbish. Paul's description here is probably more PG-13 than what most scripture translators are willing to put into print, but suffice to say, he was no longer impressed with himself. That didn't matter once he met Jesus and trusted in Jesus and rose to receive forgiveness, a new life, and a new name because of Jesus. You can tell through his writing that he still leans on the training that he received for argument and rhetoric. He can still dust off his resume, his CV, if he needs to put some haters in their place. But those things didn't have the same value to him anymore. That used to be the source of his hope. And now the source of his hope is Jesus. And Jesus will utilize all the tools that Paul's past brings to the table to help more and more people experience faith. We've all got these pieces in our lives that have once mattered so much to us but now they're not quite as important. Do you know what my Ninja Turtles video game score means to Jesus? Or my high school letter jacket? Or my old reporter Rolodex? It's not that Jesus doesn't care about any of that. It's just that they're nowhere near as important to me as they once were. Not when compared to Jesus. And Jesus is here. Jesus is present with us. Where two or three gather, we read, Jesus is present among us. In the praises of God's people, God abides. In the hearts of those who trust in Christ, the Spirit is dwelling. He is here, and he's ready to do something powerful. And that leads to our next lesson. Resurrection redeems our sufferings and trials. Resurrection redeems our sufferings and trials. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't know how many of you keep up with pop music and popular culture, but did you know that Chicago hip-hop producer and rap artist Kanye West just dropped an album that is from beginning to end a Christian album? It's probably not within everybody's taste range here, but it is a pretty impressive and focused project that definitely speaks the language of praise and redemption through Jesus Christ. And as soon as that album was even rumored, there were folks all over the map who were thrilled either that Christianity had won a new and influential celebrity convert, or there were people who were skeptical that this marketing genius had just started to dupe the entirety of album-buying album Christendom. Now, I'll be honest, I've heard some of the album. What I've heard so far, I like it. 
If you like Kanye before this recent musical release, you'll probably like this one. If you didn't, you won't. Either way, folks have been trying to judge whether or not his recent conversion is authentic, if it's real. Is Mr. West's life really changed? You know, I'm not qualified to answer that. Even if I were his pastor, I would not be qualified to answer that. God alone is able to judge the sincerity of Kanye West's heart. But I knew know something for certain. Kanye West has been through some stuff. He's been on the receiving end of some hard times. He's put himself through things that he needn't put himself through. And I know he fought through heartbreak and negativity. He's struggled with how to be a man in the public eye. You put all that together, it sounds like a life in need of hope and redemption. In fact, if you give me any biography, I'll give you a life in need of hope and redemption. I don't know for sure if God has given Kanye West a new start. It's not my business to know. But I can know for certain that God can. God is able. That God can use our faults and our features, our shimmer and our shame, and with our lives fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, God will share good news of justice and restoration and grace with a world in desperate need. It's true for churches. Did you know that? So many churches have seasons of struggle and trial. If you don't think so, just read what the Apostle Paul was writing to any of the churches that were established within 60 years of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Many of them had challenges and divisions and hurts and imperfect leadership. I'm guessing they were filled with broken people who did broken people things, all in need of a Savior, too. Do you ever stop to think that maybe some of the stuff that we hide or pride ourselves in, in our lives and in our church, Maybe some of those things are great tools, but they're just not as impressive against the power that Jesus has to heal broken hearts, to forgive lives stained with sin and shame. They may be real liabilities, but they're nothing compared to Christ's ability to bring life from death and light into darkness. Maybe the thing that we keep on display is exactly what's holding us back from experiencing the new story that Jesus has for us. Maybe the thing that we're hiding it's just the thing God wants us to bring into the light to showcase God's power to redeem. St. John's has been through stuff. Churches go through stuff. It's been on the receiving end of some hard times, and St. John's has put itself through some tough stuff too. It's real, but no matter. You know why? Because God is able. God can use our faults and our features, our shimmer and our shame in order to share good news and justice and redemption and grace with a world that is in desperate need. That leads us to the third lesson from this morning's scripture. Jesus Christ is not done with us yet. Jesus Christ is not done with us yet. Paul goes on to say, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things, that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We started this month in the next chapter of Philippians, Philippians 4. And Paul is talking there about how even in prison, he is content in Christ. He's got all he needs. He's loved and free now and eternally. What more could he want? He wants more of Jesus. That's what he wants. 
He doesn't want to be finished until Jesus is finished with him. He's dropping the past because of what God holds before him. A future filled with Jesus and an eternity filled with peace and wholeness. That's the treasure that Paul continues to long for and to strive for. I've only been a part of this congregation for a year and a half. I don't know the whole story of St. John's United Methodist Church. I know some points of pride, some points of shame. But I sure don't know all this congregation has hoped to bring to the light or into the shadows. I know this, though. God is going to claim it, redeem it, and give us new life and use this church to live and proclaim good news. It's because God is not done with us yet. How do I know? Because when I look at this community and I think there's something unique that God is doing through this congregation that's been a part of the Metro East for nearly 200 years, nearly as long as there have been Methodists in this area, I think this specific United Methodist Church is a little bit of a Goldilocks church. I don't mean that we're lukewarm. I shared during some of the financial information meetings, as we looked ahead, that this Methodist identity means that we're probably never going to be the most traditional or high church gathering in the area. We're probably not going to be the most progressive or casual gathering around either. We occupy a space where people can enter in and encounter God that allows for thinking. Nobody has to check their brain at the door. It allows for feeling. Nobody needs to leave their hearts at home. It means that we can still hold on to the mystery and wonder of the faith and not worry about whether or not we can ask questions. They may not all find adequate answers, but it's safe to ask questions. St. John's is the kind of church that's incredibly passionate about mission and service. We have over seven tons of vegetables from the garden find their way to all kinds of places and pantries across the Metro East from just this summer alone. It's a place where people can meet with the living God and let their lives be transformed. All across the lifespan, people can have an intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. This congregation will probably not be all things to all people, but it's a really good thing for the people who need what St. John's has to offer. More specifically, what God has to offer through St. John's. And I anticipate that'll be for generations to come. I believe that's the future that we're inviting and the future that we invest in. That's the future that we'll get to see through God's faithfulness and our grateful response. It's why we've been looking at Jesus throughout the season as more than enough and why I ask people to, to make that future a reality in part through our gifts to the church. Jesus is the one who inspires us to action, but we're the ones who take the action. So let's press on to possess the perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed us. If you hadn't taken an opportunity already, I'm going to invite you to take a moment, maybe during our closing hymn, to fill out an estimate of giving card. This is it's not a requirement. It's something that helps us to plan, and maybe it helps you in your spiritual life to plan for the coming year also, to make it a priority to place Christ first in our finances. There are a couple of different ways to do that. You've probably seen in the reminder there's an estimate of giving card that doesn't lock you into an obligation to the church. It's a way that, that we can simply plan. And if you would, fill that out. Like I said earlier in the service, there is a cornucopia that is placed at the back of the worship space. 
Uh, it's, it's an open cornucopia, as many cornucopias are. So if you would like, you can place your estimate of giving card inside an envelope and slide it in there. Even if you are giving electronically through uh, Easy Tithe or something like that, we would ask that you would please still fill out an estimate of giving card so we can be planning ahead and make sure you have all the information that you need to be able to continue through that. This makes a difference as we plan ahead, and we're grateful for the difference that you make as we're hoping Christ continues to move and press us forward and forward in faith for the future generations to come. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, you have given us all sorts of colorful histories. You've given us all sorts of incredible past. And those things are tools that you can use to reach people, to share love, to make connections with others. But... Lord, we know that however much esteem or shame those things might bring us, you are the one who is important. It's your grace, the new start that Jesus gives us, the faith that we place in Christ that is of greatest value. And so we, we put those things aside and we offer ourselves to you. Help us to live in trust because you are trustworthy. Help us to offer our lives to you because Christ first offered himself fully to us. We are grateful, Lord. And we pray that our lives would be a reflection of your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your love. All this we ask in Jesus' name.